Welcome to What We Couldn't Say on Sunday. This is actually episode seven. This has been a long time since we've last posted. I think both Ross and I have been super sick for different ways. It's been a rough season, hasn't it? Yeah. You've had a cold for like two months. That's right. That's right. I turned 30 and I got the birthday present of having a cold that still struggling and praying that the Lord would help me heal from it. Yeah. And um, yeah, when, when you turn 30, it seems like your immune system... Body starting to break down. It just takes a takes a nosedive. Your your <laughs> best years are over. Ross. My prime is done. Your prime's done. Yeah, um, you are um, now in the in the the twilight years. Right? <laughs> That's right. Um, and for myself, I've had shingles, and so yesterday and today are the first days that I didn't notice it until the very end. Excuse me, iTunes um, needs your attention. Oh my gosh, iTunes! Did you did you hear that, guys? What was that? It's yeah, my password crashed after I'm redoing all my passwords. I got this. Crazy spam mail the other day. Did you see that? Um, but a spam email that basically said, "Hey, we know one of your old passwords. We know one of your passwords is Basket B, and we caught you on por- on a porn site, and we recorded you, and we have all your information, and we're going to share it with all your friends and family. If you don't pay us, uh, it's like twelve thousand dollars or seven thousand dollars in Bitcoin. <laughs> um, basically, they're they're." Okay. I didn't pay because there's no video of me <laughs> looking at porn like that. By God's grace, I haven't watched porn in a number of years. Yeah. So um, I just know that they were fibbing. But what it has caused me to do is go through every single, using uh, a software, going through all my, every account and uh, updating and making unique passwords. And that so, never really was on your passwords? Yeah, it's an old one. It's old. It's kind of, you know, everyone kind of has that password that you use for all the, like, websites you don't care about. It was one of those. But I was just in case. I went through. So it's been a lot of fun doing that. Anyway, that's not why you guys are tuning in. You guys tune in because you guys are hungry to hear more about what we couldn't say on Sunday. That's right. So um, just to remind everyone, the format of this podcast is just an avenue to go deeper into the text, into applications, to... um, come back around and say, I wish I said this differently or better, or maybe I said something error, or maybe I wasn't as clear, or maybe there's something that I wanted to say, but just for the sake of time, I did, I, I left it out on purpose. So here's the great avenue to do it. So Ross, to start off, can you remind us the passage and your main, the main point in the text and, and the sermon and kind of, um, kind of where, where you went? Absolutely. So I appreciate Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. And this is actually a um, huge passage in the sense that this is after Ephesians turns from talking about what's true about Jesus to what's true about us. And um, so, so we're getting into the imperative section of the book. We're getting into the section that talks about the, the life that now we now live in light of what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. Mm. And where it starts, where Paul starts with the first thing he wants to remind us of, the first implication on our lives of what Christ has done is that we need to live with unity. And so the main point of my message was that sharing one God must make us one people. Mm. There isn't any alternative. We can't settle for anything less. And we need to have an urgency to fight for unity because we live in a world with hearts that tended towards this unity. Mm. We can see that everywhere today. We can see it everywhere in history. The world is always coming apart, yeah. and Jesus can hold us together. That's good. And that that's what was the heart of the message. I, I feel like you really nailed it, too, when you said in um, 
the sermon about the first verse talking about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so chapter one through three, chapters one through three talks about what's the calling that we've been given mm-hmm. graciously. Um, and then now how would, how would one walk live in a manner that makes sense in light of that calling? Yeah. And surprisingly, the first thing is humbly walking in unity with other Christians. That's right. Which just kind of flows, throws in the face of the probably the our culture's assumption that Christianity is just doing a lot of moral things mm-hmm. and being better than people and like maybe doing good things from you know and uh, to the poor or maybe just not doing bad things. You know, make sure you don't do any of the deadly sins and you know don't drink, don't cuss, don't gamble, don't do anything bad. But the the crazy thing is, if you want to walk in a manner worthy, it's actually being unified with other Christians, right? Which is insane. Yeah, it destroys the idea that Christianity is merely a lifestyle, hmm. that it's a, a way of living you adopt, and it can be done individually. There's no Christianity without a community. Wait, say that first part again. I don't. I don't know if I tracked. So, so it's like it's not a lifestyle. You just okay. can't adopt it. Uh-huh. On your own. Okay. Oh, just, I see. You just do it on your own. You know, there's a ministry called Lifestyle Christianity. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Did they listen to my sermon? I, I, I doubt. I think the guy's name is Todd White. Pretty well-known dude. Okay. So let's not get into that because he's also a controversial guy. <laughs> but Lifestyle Christianity. But what do you mean by Lifestyle Christianity? Because I, I, I would assume that his definition of what he means by Lifestyle Christianity is probably different than what you meant right then. Yeah, just that like... You can just tweak your habits. You can just tweak right, 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 the way right. you go about. That's right. And it doesn't whether or not you're in a relationship with other Christians or not is irrelevant. It's just about your own moral performance. Got it. Um, kind of an individualistic view of Christianity. Right, right. And this is and chapter verses like this lead me to say that in order to obey what the Bible wants you to, in order to obey the whole Bible, you have to be in community. Right, right. Being a Christian, part of being a Christian, being a part of a community. Okay. And if you're not a part of that Christian community, that's immature Christianity. That's good. That's that's not what. So to, this passage talks about what we've been called to. Uh-huh. Part of what we have been called to is to live in unity in Christian community. Right, right. And that's not that's not negotiable. Got you. Which is huge because in chapter one and two, there's a huge emphasis, especially in chapter two, of a new community that we have. Right. It's like Christianity is not something you just put on like, oh, uh, this is what Christians do. You need to do these things. But it's actually, this is what you already are. Right. And in living in sync with who you are, your identity, you also, this is what it looks like to do that. You live in unity. Right. Right. So you're already part of a family. You already are new. You add these things. So like Christianity is not merely adopting a new sort of way to live to new identity and that new identity has a certain way to live. And that, 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 that order is essential. Right. Um, then it's like, Oh, why aren't you just doing what we do? We're doing like, like uh, we look at other people who aren't Christians. Hey, you, you need to just start doing good things, which is the insanity of people politically or people anywhere who, who are trying to make people look like a Christian mm-hmm. when they first need to be alive. <laughs> You're making right. a bunch of dead people and you're dressing them up, right? Like you're taking a corpse and you're trying to make them look a certain way. They look alive, but first you need to bring them back from dead. Amen. And and so that's why chapter two, chapter two is so essential to keep in mind when we go into chapter four through six. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a bunch of dead people in your church or dead people you're ministering to and trying to help them look alive, you're actually doing nothing. You're actually hurting because you're you could create a false sense of salvation right there. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think this has a lot of 
implications on evangelism because we, we do evangelism primarily in the context of missional communities at our church. And at least we're trying. We're, we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're just starting. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And, and that changes the dynamic because usually evangelism is let's talk to someone and try to convince them of the four spiritual laws. Sure. And then we go our separate ways. Right. And it's very intellectual. Mm-hmm. It's very cerebral. Mm. And it's successful if you can logically persuade them to do that. Right. And, and you fail if you don't. Mm. And, this, and this changes the evangelism to, hey, Jesus has made us into a family. Right. We want you to be a part of this family with us. Come uh-huh. experience this family. Yeah. And the good. only way to get in is the blood of Christ. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you don't have to be a college professor to do evangelism well. Yeah. You just have to know how to love people. And I really appreciate that and respect that and think it makes our evangelism more organic and genuine yeah. rather than mercenary. Like, right. I don't know you, I don't really care about you, but you should, I'm going to try to convince you to believe in Jesus too. I really want you to be That's good. close to me. And just to qualify, you're not discouraging personal evangelism. No, I do it. Yeah, good. I do it. Good. I love I'm glad it. you do it. That's I love good. it. I just, yeah. 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 I love to overstate my case when I, yeah. <laughs> when I say something. That's yeah. true. And, and I would encourage you guys to do both. Yes. Yeah. It's both and. It's both and. I'm just excited about this new way of doing evangelism instead of just, right. just the other and, way. And we would argue it's not new scripturally. John 17. We just we, we preach sermons on that. Just this beauty of the way we love each other will demonstrate who Jesus is. And that's a great context in where you can interject the gospel. Exactly. So both in word and in deed. Word and deed have to be in concert. Right. Obviously, if you don't have the word, you actually don't have a gospel because the gospel is a proclamation and good news. Exactly. And then also, you want to we want to put we want to put this good news on the flesh in mm-hmm. within a community, right? Absolutely, that's good. So, so we've kind of gone back and forth and gone in some circles. Hopefully, whoever's listening, you're picking up some helpful points or some clarifications. Now, what do you wish you said? differently or what did you not say that you purposely left out? Yeah. Um, I actually don't have much to say here. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is something that was in my heart and mind that I just knew I didn't have time to get into the sermon was the old Testament roots okay. of the, this idea. Um, the, like even the Shema hero Israel, mm. the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It, it can be debated what that means. I, I wouldn't say I totally comprehend what that means. Sure. But just like the rallying cry, mm-hmm. like like this this central thematic verse of the Old Testament is we have one God. Yeah. And we're all directed towards him. Mm. And, and as we look at the Old Testament, there's a community that's in such clear contrast with all the other nations around it. Mm. And... And they're all united around God, which which was my main point that we're, we're united around God, and so we must have unity. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament community, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, is is a picture of that. And when they have this unity, God takes it so seriously. Mm. When um, Aaron and Miriam get jealous of Moses' ministry, he gives them leprosy. That's good. When yeah. people rebel against yeah. Moses, he, he kills them in the wilderness. Right. Like if the fighting is. And jealousy and envy among this people whom God redeemed from Egypt was was never something that He tolerated, mm-hmm. um, and and I think partially because the the mission was that this this people group when it loved one another like none of the other nations loved one another. That's good. 
everyone would know that Yahweh is king, the mm. true king. Mm. And 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 they just and as as much as they fought with each other, they destroyed the mission, the reason that God redeemed them mm. from Egypt. Um, and Paul Paul seems here's one passage that just comes to my mind as I think about this. First uh, Corinthians ten, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, that all passed through the sea, that all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Hmm. Just this, um, this, this idea of unity is not new to Ephesians four. And the reason for the unity that God is, there's one God who is one, mm. is not new to Ephesians 4. This is um, a theme that is from Genesis to Revelation. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, and the, the whole point, and I apologize um, to our millions of listeners for that, um, all these uh, these uh, alarms and different things I should have uh, prepared. We, we've been, we're kind of out of, out of shape. You know, uh, we're not in mid-season form um, with this podcast that we haven't done. But one of the commitments is, is to try to not edit at all and just go through it. So um, I think on, on lines of what you're saying, the whole principle of what how you look as a community represents your God, the same thing, right? So like you yeah. talked about the we have unity because the Trinity has unity and the way we live the way we carry ourselves, the manner in which we walk, gives the world either an accurate or inaccurate picture of God. And obviously, that's a sliding scale. Um, none of us give a perfect picture, but you said this beautiful picture. You can't actually give an accurate picture of God by yourself. You need the community to do that. Right. And also the same thing with in the Old Testament when Israel was um, giving themselves to other idols and having disunity or so forth or anything. They were basically judged for not representing Yahweh to the world Mm -hmm. accurately. It's the idea of like, do not take the Lord's name in vain. This, you know, some argue, and I I would actually agree with this argument that that word, you know, take the Lord's name in vain is more like caring about his name. Like the way you live actually carries his name well or not more than a push against, even though it would probably included using God's name or Yahweh's name as a cuss word, I think more about does your whole life scream in uh, the the reality of who God is? Mm-hmm. Does your whole life show the world that Yahweh is who he says he is? Or is your, your lifestyle giving and your community giving the world lots of excuses to believe in God, a lot of excuses and ammunition to heap against why God isn't real. Mm-hmm. And like that, there's that one book I've never read, but I love using the title, but it's called um, Lord, Save Us From Your Followers. Right. Right. And so like this idea that our community, the Christian, the church has given the, the world lots of, you know, ammunition to not believe yeah. who our God is. Or or if we, if they believe an inaccurate view of who this God is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I just want to be a church that when people come to it, like they sense like God is here. Yeah. Um, and that's only going to happen if, if we care about each other in a new way and treat each other in a new way. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I had one thought from your passage is when it talks about gentleness and patience, bearing one another in love. I think you mentioned this, but I just want to press into that more. Uh, this is verse verse 1 and 2, or 2, um, in chapter 4, this idea that it's assuming you're going to want to do the opposite. Mm. 
um, you're going to want to be proud. You're going to want to be harsh. You're going to want to be impatient. You're going to want to not bear with one another in love. And so then maybe an implication that I was thinking about is if you're not regularly feeling that tension, either you're Jesus himself or you're not close enough to people. Mm-hmm. Because if you're close enough to people, that stuff comes out. That's good. Just like in marriage, that stuff comes out real fast. That's right. Right? I mean, the honeymoon period can be really short. I mean, mm-hmm. my wife and I, we felt that on the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this idea that, you know, this this passage works on the flip side to challenge you. Are you in community? Are we in community and overlapping more than just a Sunday gathering or a Wednesday night gathering or just a, a scheduled meeting time? Because those times, it's so easy to paint on a fa- paint, paint a face on. Right. So easy to, to just let you see what I want you to see. That's We're right. controlling the information. But when we start to do life together and we start to overlap and have opportunities to bother each other, opportunities to serve each other, that's when all the other stuff comes out. And that's where the real go- the, the gospel can really shine in a supernatural way. Right. If we're actually forbearing. Yeah. Right. Instead of this. But it's, it's not hard to be patient with someone if you're sitting next to them listening to a sermon. Right. It, Unless the sermon is terrible and you're being patient <laughs> listening. Hopefully that's not happening too much at our church. But, Amen. You know, but it's, it's just so limited in a lot of the, the average church um, functions and avenues. It is almost impossible to have these, um, live out these commands. Yeah. Especially because the Sunday interaction usually is like, how are you doing? How right. are you doing? Right. Good to see you. I'll see you next week. Sure. Where is there an opportunity to forbear there? Right, right. Right. There isn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's very limited. Um and this is just a good call. I, I just side side note. I really want to tra- challenge, and I don't want um, I don't want this to be a legalistic call or for anyone to feel like we're commanding. I really want to encourage as many all people's church members as possible to to live with each other. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds strange, and I don't. I, I know there's a lot of baggage with me saying that. It sounds like a commune. It sounds like a cult. But um, if you are able. And there's seasons of life, there's challenges, there's dynamics, um, there's financial challenges. Um, If you are able, try to live together um, if it could work, because that's where you can see even more of the bearing with one another and loving one another and humbly caring for another. And if not, or and, in addition, let's continue to see ways that we can overlap things that we're already going to do. That's good. And even if you can't, if you have a family or something, you can't really live with other people in ABC, at least get into South Minneapolis if you can. Yeah. Because, yeah, because yeah, then, then we get to we get to do life together. Um, because just think about how, how often you forbear the sins of your family. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Who are in the same home as right. you. It, and it requires proximity and time. Right. And if you don't have proximity and time, this, this is increasingly hard. Obviously, there's certain circumstances where you can't do that, and there's seasons. And we, I mean, we have one of the people on our pastoral uh, uh, team who is not able to live in our area. Right. And we just, we got to just roll with that for now. That's true. But, and, and none of us live in the perfect ideal in anything. But, yeah. but obviously, we want to try to move towards that ideal. Um, but as much as possible, can we overlap? And so, for instance, Travis... Um, who can't live in South Minneapolis at this moment. Right. We're trying, I try to play basketball with them more. Yeah. And so me and him can get mad at each other or, you know, talk with each other and, and work through things that you wouldn't see on a Sunday morning or even a Wednesday night gathering. 
Right. And I mean, it's such a, such a small example, but as much as possible, doing that. Um, I didn't I didn't want us to just close and me for to for me to kind of take over this time. But are there other things you want to add from your sermon? Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about, um, you probably will not be surprised when I say it, is baptism. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so, there in the passage. Just yeah. Um, so ba- baptism and the Lord's Supper are, are two things that I um, really, really esteem. Um, and I think it's very curious that besides these huge things in this passage, the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, hmm. God himself, faith, um, what else? Um, there is, right beside all these things, baptism. Like, like yeah. why would the Apostle Paul elevate baptism That's good. To, to this level? Why, why is baptism as integral to our unity? Why? That's a good <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it, it's because as we read the New Testament, it presents baptism as doing something. Yeah. So often we think of baptism as, quite frankly, not doing much. Mm. Like, like we, or we don't know what it does. Sure. Like, like we, we, we think we think that baptism is special yeah. just because it seems special. We don't think of it as accomplishing anything. Mm. And, of course, I believe that baptism symbolizes what God does on the inside, on the outside. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that baptism in the New Testament is what adds you into the community. Mm-hmm. In the passage in 1 Corinthians 10 I read, mm. right. all the Israelites had a baptism. That's right. And when they and when they emerged from the Red Sea, they were God's people. Yeah. We pass through the waters of judgment and baptism mm-hmm. and join God's people. It's a symbolic act that actually God uses to sh- show that we're in his new community. Mm. Um one, one really good way that I've heard it put it is that baptism binds the one to the many mm. and the Lord's Supper makes the many one. That's so good. Yeah. And is that Shank? That is um, Going Public. The yeah. book Going oh, Public. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a Mike Mars book. Yeah. Um, I recommend it to anyone who wants to hear more. Um, and, and I think the way the argument works in this passage is that it's so easy for us to compare ourselves to other believers, and I think that's a huge destroyer of unity mm. when we when we get when we feel like we're better than someone else. Mm. I have more money. I have a better background. I, I follow Jesus longer. Mm. What, whatever it can be, you know, I have more gifts than you do. And baptism reminds us that we all entered at the exact same place. That's so good. Like we all went down into the waters, the mm. the, the mucky, dirty waters. Mm. Because if you remember when John's baptizing in the John the Baptist baptizing the river, all those people are coming down. Those are dirt. That's a dirty river, mm. and and it's symbolizing it's symbolizing sin mm. and there all the things that we bring into that water with us, and when we emerge a new creation. Um, we can't claim any credit for that. That's good. And so, um, if I was in a church with Billy Graham, it'd be so easy for you know him <laughs> to feel so much more superior to me and me to feel inferior. You know, could that be an obstacle to our unity? Mm. Um, it's good. We both entered through baptism. That's good. Yeah, the same baptism. Um, and so, yeah, I, I want I want us to, to steam baptism mm. at all people's church as mm. as more than just um, a mysterious ritual that we don't don't quite get, but but as 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 the picture God wanted to use to add people mm. to to a specific body. 
That's good. Yeah. Here, two, two, two following thoughts that I've been thinking about from coming from this passage and is um, are the walls that separate most people in the world, are those same walls still very evident in most churches? Absolutely. And that's, that's, I think this passage should cause us to work with a passion towards seeing those same walls um, destroyed within the church because they theologically have been destroyed by Christ. But, you know, you look at the world and what, what divides us? Well, uh, politics, age, race, race economic status, um, interests in general life. And then you look in the church. What do you see? Oh, this is the old people's club. This is the youth group. This is the... Uh, is tea breakfast. Sure. Yeah. Gender. And and this is... Um, and then, you know, most churches are going to be segregated by ethnicity and race. And, and obviously there... Uh, maybe I should say the word obviously. There is a place to be with people who are your like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I'm not... I'm not it's not only always bad. Right. I'm not completely against youth groups or completely against senior citizen groups or anything like that. Those can be very helpful in their own place. But in the pursuit of the helpfulness of that disunity, those segregated groups and the benefits that come with being with those who are like you, I mean, that, that, that's a, there's a real joy and a convenience of being people who are like, with people who are just like you. Right. We have therefore created an inaccurate picture to the world. All the same social structures have been brought right back into the church. And so our churches do not look like what I see Ephesians 4. And, and you see that throughout 1 Corinthians, and you see it especially the Lord's Supper, because the same social structures of the rich um, being able to come early to the gathering and get drunk because they've been drinking wine and feasting, and then the poor laborers who get off work later, coming later on and there are no food for them, those same social structures were, comp- were right there into the church again mm-hmm. and, and just totally... Um, uh, just discrediting the gospel. Right. And, and so the call that I'd love to share with myself, Ross, all of us is, are we bringing in the same kind of mindsets? Mm-hmm. Oh, that person looks like me. They act like me. They like what I like. Oh, I'm going to hang out with them. And for sure, again, I, I just, I, I'm afraid to overqualify though, you know, because like, obviously there's value in that. Right. Like if someone loved basketball at APC, I'm going to be drawn to them probably more than the person who likes soccer. Oh, and I'm sorry. I know you like soccer. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know. That was a low blow right there. But, but and, then, and that's okay in one, one sense. But if I look at my life and I look at my friend list and who I spend time with, and it's all people who just look like me, act like me, something has been wrong. I'm not walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. I'm not walking, in, as Philippians says, and I'm not walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called according to Ephesians 4. That's right. Yeah, and I, and I think that, that that's a good point, and I think that the bat, my, the point of baptism relates to that. Yeah. Because I want us to get to the point where we're baptizing people in all people's church. We haven't had yeah. a baptism yet. Sadly. Yep. Um, I wouldn't call it a failure, but it's something that we should be praying for and uh, uneasy about until it happens. That's right. But when we're baptizing people, are they people who just look and act like us? Yeah. Or are they not? Right. And and if they're not, then we're really approaching this unity of chapter four. Um, if baptism is the entrance into the church, yeah. that that's why it's such a big, yeah. big piece of the apostles' mind about unity. Yeah. And um, can can we 
as a people, be baptizing all kinds of different people. That's good. That's good. I want to make one final note as you wrap up. It talks about maintaining the unity. Low battery. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. One thing after another. All right. Well, low battery. I guess that means your show's almost Yeah, the, the, the Lord is saying it is time. Uh, all right. Final word. Um, walk in a, uh, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Yeah. I find that the more I'm walking in step with the Holy Spirit, the closer I am to God, the more my heart is grieved by what's grieved by what he's grieved by. Right. And if I am not grieved by disunity in the church, whether disunity that I'm ex- personally experiencing or disunity I'm witnessing, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. I'm not walking with in step with the Spirit because the reality is when there's disunity in our church, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Mm. He's so grieved. Mm. And if it doesn't bother you, something is deeply wrong. More than that, that's just a flag showing you that there's some something deeper. Right. And so that's just maybe a sobering ending, but checking our hearts if we're bringing over the structures of the world, checking our hearts if we care about unity, care about God's glory because we are giving the world an accurate picture. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so can you, can you close us with that one, that, the, the, the main point? Yeah, yeah, sharing one God must make us one people. And I just want to say very quickly that you have to figure out in your life what things you're going to compromise on and what things you're not because you have to compromise on other things to not compromise on your non-negotiables. Mm. And can we as a church make unity one of our non-negotiables? Amen. Non-compromisers. That's, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Thank All right. You. Good conversation. Thanks, yes, bro. Sir.